We're combining all the best old school wisdom with all the top new school methods to bring you the optimal way to coach and play the great game of baseball. This is the 80-20 Baseball Masterclass with Coach Bo. Welcome to this week's get together here, the 80-20 Baseball Masterclass, Coach Bo with you. So I was watching some highlights yesterday of Christian Yelich. Christian Yelich, most of you know, great baseball player for the Brewers. And he ran down first base, ran down the line, passed through first base, and there was a bad throw from the defense. And he made a slight move towards second base. He kind of flinched a little to his left. And the umpire, once the defense, the opposing team came up and tagged him. He called him out. The umpire called Christian Yelich out. And Christian Yelich, out of character, went kind of crazy, dropped a bunch of F-bombs, and he got thrown out of the game, of course, which is very out of his character. But nonetheless, what I wanted to share with you wasn't so much that, was I saw a lot of stuff in the baseball community going around, a lot of conversation about coaching this up or teaching our players to not go to the left or go to the right or basically how how to handle this situation and what not to do. And I thought, man, you know what? This is something that is so minute, something that will almost assuredly not change the course of any season, much less a game. And they were spending, these coaches were talking and and the points were awesome. These points that these coaches were making within the baseball community and, and discussing this play, they were sharing some great tips and great feedback, but great feedback and great tips and great strategies and great coaching when it comes to things, when it comes to events like this one that happen once every season at the most are not, in my opinion, and I truly believe that the world has proven over and over all across the board that spending our time, our valuable time, and the bandwidth of our players, because they're only going to be able to remember and process and and implement things out there on the field so quickly and, and at such volume or at a certain volume, that I truly believe that this was something that should not have been addressed at all. It should have just been, wow, okay, this play happened. Maybe show it to players and say, hey, you know, check out Christian Yelich went a little flinch to the left, make sure you don't flinch it. And that's it. But I, I definitely wouldn't fill up our players' mind, their bandwidth, the amount of, I wouldn't slow down their processing speed of all the important things and their growth and their improvement of all the important things, such as the hitting approach, throwing strikes and commanding pitches on the mound, fielding ground balls, accuracy with the throws, base running and insofar as you're talking about being the mindset of a good base runner and some of the techniques of a good base runner for things that happen a lot like rounding bases, stealing bases, getting good jumps on balls in the dirt. I just would not spend much time at all. And definitely I wouldn't spend any time talking to less than, you know, 14 you and below. I wouldn't spend any time showing or discussing this type of play to them. I just don't think the value is worth it. If you try to coach everything that's out there, every single possible play, you're going to be, your players will not be very good at any of them. They will not improve because of you. They may already be good at something, but what I'm saying is if you coach a thousand things, your coaching influence on those thousand things is so minute that it probably won't move the needle at all. But if you really hammer down on the big needle movers, the 20% of things that bring you 80%, that bring your team 80% of its results, the 80-20 principle is live and well everywhere across the country, everywhere across the world, everywhere across your league, everywhere 
across our sport, baseball in this case, and it's so important that we keep that in mind. Again, the 80-20, those of you that might be a little late to the show here, the 80-20 principle, those of you that know it or are going to hopefully go learn a lot about it, it is something that will change and help you in every aspect of your life. Absolutely, no doubt about it. It has helped me being a father. It has helped me with my fitness. It has helped me with my nutrition. It has helped me with my job. It has helped me with coaching. It has helped me everywhere and it has helped people all over. In fact, the 80-20 principle gets brought up so much in interviews and conversations with all the people that are really making these massive impacts on the world. And the reason they're able to do that is because they really focus heavily on the big needle movers, the things that really have the most impact and they allocate the appropriate amount of time, which is usually much less time and sometimes no time on those things that aren't going to happen very much or have very little, those things that have very little impact on the outcome, whether that's raising a child, whether that's your job, whether that's putting in landscape or construction or whatever it is, building a business, there are going to be three things, five things, seven things that are going to move the needle, that are going to dictate the success, 96, 98, 99, 95, no less than 90% of all success can probably be boiled down with anything that you're doing in your life to three, five, six, seven, maybe at most seven, eight specific actions that you can take. While there are dozens and dozens and dozens of things we can do, things we could work on, things we could coach up or parent up or things we could do with our business or in our job, there's dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of things that we could do that might incrementally move the needle, but you have to allocate your time according to the biggest needle movers. And in baseball, it comes to the hitting approach and hitting, just in general, hitting, and then you could break it down each skill or each event in a baseball game or or during a baseball game, each event could be broken down using the 80-20 principle. 80-20 is not to be an exact number. Essentially, what it's saying is very few things that we do lead to most of our results or most of our success or, or most of our failures. And not everything that we do has equal impact on our success or on the outcome of the things in our lives. And it's so important to understand that because as coaches, for years and years, I have 35 years in the baseball world, but almost 20 now coaching and definitely observing coaches for more than 20 and watching and analyzing coaches and learning from them, I see that the great coaches allocate more of their time or most of their time to things like, I said, hitting. You could break down the hitting approach into that subject, or you could break down hitting into the hitting approach, timing, and some of the swing gurus out there, the the coaches that really work on the swing, they'll put out things out there in articles or on their websites or in videos or in a tweet. They'll put out their top two things hitters or top three things that hitters can do. So they broke it down and those things are the 20% of the vital, 20% of actions that are gonna bring 80 to 90% of the results, the success. Those are the things that are going to have a heavy influence on our productivity, on one's productivity. So you could break down pitching into control and the delivery and you could break it down into subcategories of the 80-20 rule, which is fascinating. In fact, that doesn't get talked about a lot. A lot of people understand the 80-20 rule as an overarching principle, but you actually should break it down into subcategories. So you would say, what are the, you know, for baseball, hitting, pitching are the top two because those happen the most. Hitting and pitching happen the most. Pitching happens more than hitting because a hitter doesn't always swing at a pitch and sometimes pitchers throw pitches so far out of the zone that the hitter really doesn't have to do anything. There's no skill involved. It's like that pitch bounced six feet in front of home plate or went over the catcher's head or was way outside and thus the hitter didn't have much influence or have anything or responsibility on that particular event. But anyways, what I'm getting at there is pitching first, hitting's 
right up there. Then you break it down into defense. Then base running would come after that. So you could break down defense. Ground balls are definitely more come about more often than fly balls. Throwing would probably be number one. Then ground when it comes to defense, throwing you, position specific throwing, not just sitting there playing catch, not just sitting there throwing it with your partner, but position specific movements followed by a throw combined with a throw then ground balls and then fly balls. And that's because that's how often those events happen in a game. So you got the 80-20 principle and Christian Yelich, this play is something that when anytime I see a play that will happen once a season or and sometimes it might just happen every two or three games. To me, that goes on the very, 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 very far back burner like that. You would have to have a stove with like 30 burners for that to even be on the stove on the very back row. Okay, it's just not worth the time. I see the talk about it. It distracts and our time is finite. Our time learning, our learning time is finite. Our time on planet Earth obviously is finite. It's not this infinite amount of time. We don't just have an abundance of time. Time is finite. And if we spend it on X, we can't spend it on Y. And if X is something that's going to happen once a year and have no impact or very minimal chance of having an impact on any game, much less the season, but action or event Y is something that happens every game, every pitch, well, then you can see where I'm going with that. And that's the biggest competitive advantage I see out there in the baseball community, in the sports community, is allocating time, practice time, according to the events, not getting distracted and caught up by the shiny object syndrome. And in other words, like don't have six first and third defenses. In fact, I was watching the College World Series a week or two ago, and it boggled my mind that at the Division I college level, the pitchers were slow to the plate when there was a runner on first base. The pitchers were 1.6 seconds to the plate. That means from their first move to the time the catcher catches the ball, 1.6 seconds. When you want to be about a 1.3, 1.4, 1.2, you want to be between 1.2 and 1.4. That seems to be the optimal time for most pitchers at the 60-foot distance. And the pitchers were 1.6, 1.65. And then I know those teams, I followed those coaches, and I know they're working on first and third defenses. They're working on bunt defense. If you spend time on a bunt defense, on your bunt defense, or on your first and third defense, but then you go out there and allow your pitchers to be slow to the plate, you've wasted all that time on your bunt defenses and on your first and third. All that practice time could have been used for something else because the other team, if they're paying attention at all, they're going to be like, why do we need to bunt? Why do we need to get creative and tricky with our first and third? We're just going to steal second. We're just going to do a flat, straight steal of second. The pitcher is too slow. They're not going to be able to get us out. We're just going to go straight to second. We don't need to bunt and waste an out to get them over to second. We're just going to steal. So there's those things that are very important to understand when it comes to coaching to allocate that valuable, valuable, our most valuable asset, and that's time. I think there's a huge competitive advantage there. The other competitive advantage is building up the people on your team, the players, compliments, praise, motivating them from within, confidence, getting your players confident through praise, genuine praise, really getting to understand your players, to lift them up, to play their best. There's a huge competitive advantage sitting out there. And that's not just a competitive advantage, but also a, a thing that we should just be doing first and foremost with all our players, building them up, building them up as people, giving them confidence, but not making it, not coddling. Coddling is not what I'm talking about, giving them confidence. And then when it comes to teaching skills and the events and the actions on the field, those things need to be addressed from step one needs to be when you're addressing or going to coach those items is what are the biggest needle movers? What are the things and how do I 
allocate my time accordingly. How often does this event happen? Does it happen very rarely? Well, then just maybe you don't even get to it. We also forget that as coaches, sometimes I think we forget that players can improvise. They can improvise. I've seen rundowns. I've seen rundown defenses where there's things that the players do that the coaches never coached them on. They just figured it out. They improvised. I think scrimmages or intra-squad scrimmages are good for this because it allows, if you run a fast-paced scrimmage with your team playing your team, you get a lot of reps. They're going to see, there's a lot more of a likelihood that they're going to see events happen that will test their creativity. It'll test their ability to adapt and improvise so the players don't need to be, or they're not necessarily in need of being a robot out there. And they need to follow steps one, two, three, four, and five, because that's how you've outlined them as a coach. Players are not going to be able to process all that over and over again at the speed of the game. If they are, they're going to play slow. Players that play free and easy and they play with confidence play fast. So that was kind of a long introduction part to this episode that I really wanted to hit home on. I saw that and I saw these coaches and these are professional coaches talking about it, but they're talking and they're coaching it to community of youth coaches. And I just thought, man, I wouldn't spend any time on teaching or talking or filling up any part of our players' brains with or spending any part of our valuable practice time going over this event that Christian Yelich flinched to the left, made a slight move to go to second. I just wouldn't use that as a point of emphasis. And I think it's something that we got to be really careful with. And I think it's something that's out there. So that can really give a lot of coaches a huge advantage while other coaches are spending their time coaching this, that, and the other. You're coaching the big needle movers. You're just going to separate that. You're going to build a bigger gap between you and your opponents. And that goes the 80-20 rule. What's great about that is it can be applied to anything and it can be applied to building better players, building better people, team, you know, the players building a better team environment, all that the 80-20 can address and make better. So now most of us are into summer baseball or we're taking the summer off, but the baseball season has ended. I want to keep this podcast going once a week, coming to you with good content that will bridge through the summer and into the fall. And I want to keep it as best I can current and relevant to the time of the year. We will definitely cover things during the summer that will be useful in the spring. Of course, it will all the stuff we talk about here will be useful year round. But I want to also hit on things that are specific to the time of year it is, the time of year it is for the baseball seasons or off season and whatnot. And I also have some interviews lined up. So with this episode today, what I wanted to hit on, I saw that come up, that Christian Yelich event, and I wanted to hit on that as a good example. And I would highly recommend you go just YouTube Christian Yelich ejected. It'll pop up because he doesn't, he's not a guy that gets ejected very often, if at all. And uh, go watch that and you'll see what I'm talking about. You'll see exactly, and some of you already saw what he did, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about in terms of like this event is not something that we should as coaches spend any time on. And if if you are just a small amount of time on coaching this particular event, because it's so rare. So the main meat and potatoes of this episode, off-season priorities. In the summer, the off-season priorities should revolve around strength training. So I think strength training for even the younger players, maybe it's not with weights, maybe it's body weight. Strength training, maybe using a little heavier bat during the summer to get some swings in with a little heavier bat. Maybe you jump it up a few ounces to build up some of that wrist strength and shoulder strength 
strength and some of that rotational strength. Flexibility along with the strength training, though, flexibility is not as needed. It's not needed as much with the younger players. Younger players don't need it as much. But as you get to that 13, 14, and definitely the high school level and above, you have to combine, you have to blend flexibility, mobility. You can use those words interchangeably for the most part, but you definitely got to incorporate flexibility, mobility with strength training. This is the time of year to build up the strength. Summer, early fall, September, October should really, the emphasis should be on getting stronger, getting the player stronger and faster and more athletic. And then you don't want to forget about those other things, some of those skill things, such as hitting ground balls and watching baseball on TV, watching and learning, watching on YouTube. So I think the four major priorities, the 80-20 the rule I would use for off-season summer priorities for the baseball players, strength training combined with flexibility for those older players, hitting, I think getting just as many, I mean, just seeing as many pitches as you can, working on the T-work, getting to the batting cages and just hitting, getting a lot of that because that is so rep dependent. That is so rep dependent. Hitting is so much about seeing a lot of pitches because it happens so fast. It happens so quickly. It is the quickest event in all of baseball. It happens so fast and the decision making of the hitter has to come so quickly. The accuracy of the decision to swing or not to swing, where the pitch is going to be when it crosses the plate and predicting that, the angles, the speed, the timing, that is something that really truly needs a lot of reps. So hitting is huge. So strength, getting strong if they're older and they need that flexibility component, combining that. So strength training, even if it's just body weight, body weight, strength training, or just basic body weight squats or one-legged backward hops. Those are just a few examples of the dozens and dozens of things you can do players to get stronger. So you have strength training, you have hitting, you got ground balls, and then learning and watching the game of baseball. Notice how I left off things on there. I left off like base running. I left off fly balls. I even left off pitching, but I didn't leave off any of that stuff insofar as that the strength training, the flexibility, some athleticism building, speed training, that conditioning part, that strength training part. And I know strength training and conditioning aren't necessarily the same, but for all intents and purposes, for youth coaches, for high school coaches, pretty much outside the professional high level college, it, you can put it all under the same umbrella in terms of how you want to attack it and when and kind of categorizing it together. So there are the top four priorities. Are those the only priorities? If you have time and you feel like you've adequately made the best use of your time and made big strides with the strength, strength training, athleticism building, and you know, strength training and speed and agility and all that can fall under the same umbrella for youth players. If you feel like you're hitting as you've gotten enough swings in, the player has been productive, the players on the team or your son, daughter has been productive with their swings, then you can move to ground balls, get a lot of ground balls. Those can be great. You don't even need to add a throw in. If you want to add a throw in, the nice thing about stuff like that is you you can have a target at first base. You don't even need a second person. You can have a target, get creative with the target. If you have a screen, it makes it real easy. You can make a small square with tape, duct tape. You can do a lot of different things. They even sell targets online where you can put it over there. You can hang it on something. You can't put it on the back fence if you're throwing to say first base because it's obviously the fence is not near first base. So that's not going to be an authentic throw, but you can do things to force or to challenge players to be accurate with their throw. 
throws, or you just hit ground balls and let them rest their arms, just, you know, especially if they were a pitcher. And so a lot of arm issues are overuse issues when players are younger and underdeveloped and still growing. And overuse is subject, of course, it's, it's their subjectivity. Every player's arm, delivery, workload, nutrition, sleep habits, genetics, they're all going to be different. But the experts in this field, the experts in the field of arm care, the surgeons that deal with the most Tommy Johns, these surgeons has come out and after study after study has said, you know, the number one thing we can do for youth players, the number one thing we can do for youth players is to give them some time off their arm, some time off from pitching, not necessarily strength training and not necessarily from moving, but give their arm some time off from pitching, some rest. I think down the road, they'll figure out a better system than just saying, well, they should take three months off straight. Maybe they'll come up with a better system and say, well, you need to take, you know, one month breaks here or two week breaks here and there. They might come up with a better, you know, studies might, as they do more and more research on arm care and volume loading of the arm and how many pitches a pitcher throws in a given year, in a month, in a season, in a game kind of thing. I think that'll, obviously it's definitely dependent on the individual, which makes it very hard to do a study on it. Like any study, the variables are so vast that you can't always account and say and pinpoint the, this is the best solution or this is the reason this happened. But nonetheless, during the summer, you notice how all the stuff that I listed here didn't involve a throw. So you saw that commonality as I listed them out. Strength training doesn't involve throwing. Now you could do heavy ball and weighted ball training, but I wouldn't do that during the summer. And I definitely would do that under the strict supervision of somebody who's trained and knows what they're doing with this. But I wouldn't do it during the summer necessarily. I would stick to strength training, especially the the legs and the core and just, I mean, the full body getting stronger, getting faster. Then you have ground balls and then you have hitting, or I should say hitting comes before ground balls. Hitting, reps with the hitting, hitting, get to the cages, BP, off the tee, toss, off the tee, toss, hitting cages, then ground balls. I would get a lot of ground balls. I would buy it. If you're coaching and you're working with, say, your son in the off season, in the summer, you're taking him out, get three buckets of baseball or four, but I always recommend getting, like, if you're working with your team, I've been very upfront. I think you should have four full buckets and four empty buckets. I like having the empty buckets, one, because buckets are cheap. It's the baseballs that are expensive. So having an extra bucket that's empty, it doesn't really cost you much more, but it allows you to put a bucket where the players are at, where they're fielding, where the drill is, and so they don't have to throw it across a diamond or you don't have to go pick them up later. They can dump them in the bucket. It's just much more efficient and effective that way. Drills are just great. But if you're out there coaching during the summer, sometimes you're going out there with your kid, just your kid or your kids. I highly recommend you have two full buckets of baseballs. Invest in the baseballs, take care of the baseballs, and they'll last a long time, but have two full buckets of baseballs and two empty buckets. So that can keep the ground ball drill going or the batting practice drill going without having to stop, put the bat down, and then come back and set up. So I'm throwing in some tips here into each of these little parts, each of these four parts. Strength training. So to encapsulate it all, to summarize it all, the four major off-season, or should I say summer, actions that players and coaches should be doing are, number one, getting stronger. Getting stronger every day or every other day. Having a word. There's a lot of good information out there for strength training for baseball players of all ages. It's not about necessarily bulk and heavy and Olympic lifting stuff. There's a lot of things that players can do. What they call unilateral work, single leg squats, single leg movements, jumping, hops. There's backward sprints, forward sprints. There's steel jumps when it comes to getting speed and faster. You have things like just basic stuff, like just doing some push-ups and some pull-ups or some back rows, rotational stuff, light med ball throws, med ball throws, rotational med ball throws. The great thing about that and all this stuff is you can adjust 
adjust the intensity, you can adjust the resistance, in other words, the weight of whatever it is you're doing. So if you had eight, an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old, you could surely get some lighter medicine balls. And medicine balls are simply weighted rubber balls. Typically, they're rubber and they're weighted. And they can be like five pounds. They can be two pounds. They can be up to, I'm sure they have 50 pounds. I, I know where I go in my community, there's a, a gym and they go up to 25 pounds. So you can adjust those for the level of your player. But, you know, rotational throws, there's a lot of good videos online by credible sources that have strength training routines and programs that you can follow. So you have strength training, you have hitting, getting a lot of swings at the batting cages, live pitching, off the tee, toss. There's a lot of good ways right there. Those are four good ways to get swings in, ground balls, a lot of ground balls. And those ground balls could be in the outfield. All right, having a, your kid charge it, charge and come up and make the throw, or just mimic the throw if you want to rest their arm. Many youth pitchers, and this goes back to what I was discussing a few minutes ago, and that is a lot of youth players are pitchers. A much higher amount of the players on a youth team pitch versus like professional teams and college teams and even high school teams. In fact, the word PO, like pitcher only, doesn't really even come into play until high school and typically not even until varsity high school. And so you may adjust the summer drill when it comes to ground balls specifically. You may adjust that depending on the player that you're coaching. If they didn't pitch at all during the season or very limited, then you can add the throws into the ground balls, in my opinion, into the fly ball. I wouldn't work a lot on the fly balls that, you know, in the summer, if you have extra time, you could hit them some fly balls, but definitely a lot of ground balls, even ground balls in the outfield where they're charging or working angles on ground balls, working to kind of get around and taking good angles on ground, hard hit ground. I mean, obviously these are ground balls to the outfield. These are line drives that turn into two, three, four hoppers. And then I truly believe the next best thing you can do, the fourth part of a great summer routine, off season routine is to watch baseball, go to the game, go to the minor league game, get out there to the game, go early, watch those players do their thing before the game, not just stay after to get autographs and things, which is cool, but get there early, watch some of that pregame work, go to a spring training event. You know, I know that's not till February, but take your, your kid to spring training if you can. That's a good experience. Get on those back fields and watch that. But during the summer, you can watch games on TV. You can watch highlights on YouTube or whatever platform you like. If you don't like YouTube, you can use another one. They kind of are the monopoly right now, but they have a lot of great videos. There's so much good content videos out there where you can watch this stuff. You could type in like high IQ baseball players, high IQ baseball plays, and there will be a dozen videos on there that'll show players in the major leagues. So it's not youth, but it's major league players. It's still, it's definitely usable and it's definitely stuff that young players can learn from. There will be play after play after play of players. And sometimes it's players that your kid knows, which is even better. So there's that, they relate to them. There will be videos and play after play on these videos showing high IQ, smart plays. And that doesn't mean your players are just going to watch 50 of the smartest plays in baseball history, but are going to watch a video that's titled the 50 highest IQ baseball plays ever made. And it doesn't mean they're going to go out there and be able to be perfect on all 50 if they ever come up or execute all 50, but it gets them thinking. It changes their paradigm when it comes to being out there on the field and they start to look at the game differently in a more productive and a more successful way. And they also look at it from different angles and they think of it as kind of a chess match in certain ways. So that's, I think, very important. They can also watch, kids can also watch players and their routines. And you can point out, hey, did you see the big breath that Max Muncy just took? Did you see the breath that Aaron Judge takes before each at bat or each pitch, I should say? Do you see what they're doing in the on-deck circle? Can you see that? Can you see what that hitter's doing? Can you see what that pitcher's doing? Do you see how they handle their warm-up pitches? Do you see 
see how they use their changeup? Do you see where they throw their changeup? Do you see how they throw their changeup with a fast arm action? Again, you could go on and on about things that players can learn, and you could watch the game and ask the player, your kid, after and say, hey, what did, did you learn? What'd you learn? What's What are two things that you learned that you didn't know before? Two things you thought were interesting that the players did. So watching baseball, however you can get that done, if you're fortunate enough to be able to go to major league games or minor league games or even college summer league games, even if you can just get out and watch the local high school, that can be very helpful. It also helps players see the speed of the game. If they're out there on the field, they can see the speed of the game and that helps them acclimate as they move up. They're not so like, wow, this pitching is super fast. I've never seen anything like this or wow, the runners are fast or wow, those ground balls are coming fast. If you take them to these games and you let them watch closely, the speed of the game starts to become a little more, they get desensitized to the speed of the game. It becomes a little more normal for them to see that faster paced game. And so when they get there, it's not so much of a shock. So I could go on and on about the benefits of watching and learning from the game of baseball, but I definitely would put it up there on those four things to do during the summer, get stronger, get stronger. And that might just be a 30 minute routine every day. That might be 15 minutes a day. It may be one hour every other day, maybe 45 minutes. Pick a number that the player, your kid, your team, your players will complete and then stop there. Whatever it is. And some of them may be good for 30 minutes every other day, 15 minutes a day, an hour every day. It just depends on the player. Strength training, hitting, pitches, see pitches, swings, get the swing, get the timing, just a high rep, high volume of seeing pitches come in, whether it's the batting cages or live pitching, even better. Do as much of that as you can. Well, T work is great. I love using a T and I'll get into this also. We'll get a little deeper into this on another episode. I love using the T to mimic two strike good pitches that pitchers have made that are really hard for hitters to hit. I love putting the T in areas that mimic a location that is technically a strike or close to the strike zone, close enough that the umpire may call it, but a challenge for hitters to hit. I love doing that with the T because it gives a high volume of reps of these difficult locations to hit. So you got T work, you got toss work, you got live BP, you can go batting cage, get a lot of that in. Ground balls, get out there, get a lot of ground balls. Maybe the occasional fly ball. I think ground balls are so much more difficult for players as a whole to get really good and fluid at, consistent at. I think fly ball is a little more natural. They do it a little more on the playground. The other sports like football and things like that, the ball catching things is a little easier, I think, than fielding things bouncing at them off the ground. That's not something they see a lot of unless it is in baseball and it's done on a practice field. And then you have watching baseball, learning more about the baseball, getting smarter with the IQ, the baseball IQ, and their strategies and things to do that at a bare minimum. Just watch YouTube highlights. Next is watch live games. The next best thing is go to games, go to the local games and watch those take place. So there's four steps right there, four things you can do during the summer. Notice I left off a handful of things that are super important. I just don't think that they are the main needle movers, the big needle movers. They should not be the main focus during the summer. If you have time to get to it, you have a lot of free time. If your job allows that, or you know your kid is willing to put that extra time in, then you can add those extra layers if that's something that is doable for you, your team, your kid. So you got four specific steps, four specific action steps, action items to get more productivity out of the summer. And it's important to understand that there are different parts of the year that need and facilitate, I should say, that require a different set of focus. Things become a priority in the summer that aren't so much a priority during the season. And things during the season, there are going to be things in the season that are a higher priority than things that'll be more of a priority in the off season or the summer. And I'm sure you all understand where I'm coming from with that. All right, this has been our weekly get together. I want to thank all those coaches that are helping to support the podcast using the link in the podcast app that you're using. There's a link right there. It's a quick, less than two minute process to support the podcast. So thank all of you that are doing that already. Much appreciated. We'll keep this show rolling along week to week. Speaking of week to week, next 
week in episode 87. Should hitters hit the ball the other way? Should hitters pull the ball? Or should hitters hit the ball back up the middle? Next week, I'll give you a specific action plan to teach your hitters. That's the optimal, in my opinion, the optimal way to go about handling this and where to hit the ball. And we'll talk about that next week. So after next week's episode, you'll know exactly how to go out and coach your hitters when it comes to hitting the ball the other way, or should I pull the ball, or should I hit the ball up the middle, should I work gap to gap, etc. I look forward to seeing you back here next Tuesday when the next episode comes out. Until then, take care of yourselves and take care of your health so you can help take care of your family better, take care of that family of yours, and take this information and go out there and do your part, do your best to help lift up the baseball community, make it a better place. And that's the end of this episode. We'll catch you on the flip side. Bye. This has been the 8020 Baseball Masterclass. Take it to the field. 